John chapter 20, let's continue reading the scripture this morning as we prepare for the message. John chapter 20, we're going to start in verse number 10. So if you've got your Bibles, let's stand together one more time out of respect to God's word. And let's read on John's account of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the resurrection story. Scripture says, then Jesus went back, then, I'm sorry, then the disciples went back to their homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white, seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, what woman? Why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him. I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned around and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had seen, that he had said these things to her. On that same evening of the first day of the week, where when disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after he showed them his hands and his side, the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiving. Father, thanks you for your word today. Would you speak to us right now, right here, 2023? Bakersfield, California, Olive Knowles Church, Fruitvale Avenue, 9 o'clock in the morning, Easter Sunday, 2023. Speak, Lord. Holy Spirit, come. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but I love a great comeback story. How many of you love a great comeback story? I mean, I think everybody loves a comeback story. There's something about a comeback story that, that just um, literally changes our lives and just brings excitement and joy into our life. Um, I've, uh, I'm, I'm an avid sports maniac. You know, I love sports. And uh, if you don't know this about me, I'm, I'm all things Boston sports. I know, I'm sorry. You'll have to love me despite that. 
But let me tell you a few comeback stories that have been, that have been exciting in my life. Um, the 2004 Red Sox. I know it really, they went on to beat those Dodgers, I think. And the, <laughs> but uh, they actually came back from a 3-F-O deficit to their arch enemy, the New York Yankees. I mean, there's no, there's no greater rivalry, I think, in baseball on the East Coast than it is the Red Sox and the Yankees. You see, as a Red Sox fan growing up as a little boy, we hated the Yankees. Why? Because they won all the time. They spent all the money. They always bought the players and brought them in, and they always seemed to, 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 to bring defeat upon the Boston Red Sox. I was at the game in 1978 in the one-game series. The one-game series. When I thought the Red Sox were going to go to the World Series and good old Bucky Dent hits the home run and I suffer defeat all over again. But in 2004, it was a glorious moment. Well, there's another team that is a great comeback story. You probably have heard of this one. They've won a few Super Bowls over the last 20 years. It's called the New England Patriots. And this is the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history. They were down, three, they had three points to 28 to the Atlanta Falcons with two minutes left in the third quarter. And they went on to have the greatest comeback ever where they went on in overtime to beat the Atlanta Falcons for, the, for, their, for their fifth, I think it was their fifth, no, it was their sixth Super Bowl. 34 to 28, what an incredible comeback. May God rest the soul of Tom Brady. It's all done now. We have joined the ranks of mediocrity for the next 50 years, you know. <laughs> and then, I don't know about you, but 1986, the Masters. I mean, this guy came back from the grave almost. They thought he was done and washed up. Yet the oldest player in Masters history at that point came back to win the Masters in 1986, Jack Nicklaus. And uh, it was history that was written all over the world. It was incredible. Wonderful story of victory by Jack Nicklaus. Well, there's one more story. On February 27, 1991, Ruth Dillo received a very sad message from the Pentagon. You don't know what that message was, but it was a very difficult message. The message was that her son had fallen on a landmine and it was killed in action. Her heart was devastated. She was, she was so, so broken. She was so angry. She was so hurt. She was in despair. She lost her one and only son. True story in the Iraq war. Yet three days later, she got a phone call that she could never ever imagine a phone call that would change the rest of her life on the other end of the phone was her son who says mom I'm alive it was she they would they told the wrong mother about the wrong son that died and for three days she was suffering with great grief but she heard the news that her son was alive from her own, his own voice and was so filled with joy. My friends, today we are celebrating the greatest comeback in human history. 
Jesus Christ from the dead. It really is the greatest comeback. There is no one else that has ever been crucified on a cross, buried in a tomb, and risen from the dead. And today we are celebrating with millions of other men and women, boys and girls, from every walk of life, with every language group that are celebrating the good news of Jesus Christ, that he's alive. He's alive. He's alive. And there is great joy in the church today because we are experiencing the greatest miracle of all, life after death. And my hope and prayer is that each and every one of you would experience Easter. Because Easter is not just in a memorial event. It's not something that we just remember because it happened to Jesus over 2,000 years ago. Resurrection is also a resurrection that can happen in your life. God can do something new. Can you imagine life without the resurrection? Imagine the loss of your loved ones without resurrection. Imagine grief without the hope of resurrection. Imagine uh, the, the news of cancer or the news of an economic collapse without knowing that God is risen from the dead and he can do miraculous and amazing things. I want to tell you, without Easter, we wouldn't even be here today. There would be no Christianity. There would be no Christmas. There would be no hope. It is Jesus Christ, the greatest comeback story of all. Jesus said these words to us. You're probably familiar with them. He said, I am the resurrection. This is what he said before he raised Lazarus from the dead, showing that he had the power to overcome death. He said, I am the resurrection of the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. He who believes in me would live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then the greatest question, I think, in pretty much the entire Gospel of John. Do you believe this? Amen. I'm glad you do, Nacho. <laughs> I'm glad you do. And I know so many of you believe that here today. But I wonder today, there might be some of you here today that doubt it. There might be some of you here today that don't really believe. Because, because you might be coming here as a tradition. It might be something that a friend invited you, a family member. It's a religious holiday. It's the thing to do. But ultimately, here's the greatest question that I could ask you. Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe he's the son of God? Do you believe that he came and he died on a cross, that he rose from the dead, and that he sits at the right hand of the Father? And do you believe that someday you'll stand before him and give an account of your life? Jesus is either a liar, a lunatic, or he is who he said he was. He is the resurrection and the life. And so, so I, I was thinking this morning about, about, this, about this service, and I want to tell you, I love Easter. And one of the reasons I love Easter is because I am a personal witness of God's transforming power. You see, it was 1982 that I found Jesus Christ on Easter Sunday in a service similar to this one. I heard the gospel for the first time. 
I probably had heard it before then, but I didn't remember it. But God began to speak to me, and he began to speak in a powerful, powerful way. And my life was transformed. The greatest evidence that the resurrection is true is living testimonies of people's lives who have been changed. If you look around this room, you could hear story after story after story of people whose life was miraculously changed because they put their faith in Christ. And how can you question that? A testimony. A testimony. That is the real evidence that Jesus is alive today. And there are lots of testimonies in God's word. We find here in the Gospel of John, we find four eyewitnesses. Four people who are, who are clear. Out of the scripture says, well over 500 people saw him resurrected. But four of them on that first day and that first week saw him that are recorded for us. Have you experienced the power of the comeback in your own life? Have you experienced resurrection in your own life? Four things. First of all, we find Peter and the other disciple. You saw, you, we've read it together earlier in the service. Peter and John, they hear the message from Mary who went to the tomb and it says, somebody has stolen the body. They had, they, Jesus had told him he was going to resurrect. Jesus told him he was coming back to life. But that didn't compute in their brain. They didn't understand. They thought that somebody had stolen the body. And so what happens? Peter and this other disciple goes running to the tomb. And they run and they run and they run. They run so fast that one outruns the other to get there. And they get to the tomb and the scripture says that the, the one who got there first, which was the other disciple, which no, we know later was John, the beloved one, the one who was standing at the cross with Jesus' mother. And the scripture says he bent over and looked in at the strips of lin, uh, linen lying there and but did not go in. He just kind of looked in. He saw there was no body. He didn't realize what was going on. But he waited until Peter got there. And Peter, you know, good old Peter, he's the guy that always opens his mouth and sticks in his foot. He always kind of acts, but then he thinks. He just runs right into the tomb. He just runs right in, looks around, realizes Jesus is not there. And then the scripture says the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. These guys were eyewitnesses to the fact that the tomb that they laid Jesus in, they went into that tomb and there was no body. He was not there. And the scripture says that this other disciple saw and believed. What did he believe? The scripture says, do you believe? What did this other disciple believe? We don't know for sure if he believed in the resurrection yet, but he did believe that the body wasn't there. He was clear to him that either somebody stole the body, either somebody had run away with the body, either, either Jesus had, had gone somewhere else, but somewhere along the way his belief had changed and his perspective on the events of that day began to change in his life. There's some of you here today that you know a little bit about the story of God. Maybe you've gone to church. Maybe you have a little bit of information. Maybe your faith in your belief system is just so small. 
It's not yet to the place where you are radically transformed that you'd die on a cross for Jesus or you'd become a radical follower of Jesus. You're, you'll be nominally religious. If somebody said to you, hey, do you believe? You'd say, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, I believe. But is that the kind of belief that God wants in our life? No, he wants so much more. He wants us not only to believe what we can see, but he wants us to believe what we can't see by putting our faith in him. You see, God wants us to be radically transformed by putting our faith. Peter, the scripture says, he just runs in, but there's no recollection. There's no record here of anything. Peter, Peter and this other disciple, they leave the tomb. Mary's still there. And they leave and they go back home. Can you imagine the conversation? I don't think they were running home then. They were probably walking home thinking to themselves about what had happened. Just a few days ago, he was on a cross. Just a few days ago, Peter was denying him. Just a few days ago, they watched him take the body off the cross, wrap it in brave clothes, and put it in a borrowed tomb. They knew that the guards guarded the tomb. What happened to Jesus? And they began to contemplate what was going on. But Mary, what did she do? She was the first one to the tomb. She's the one who discovered that the tomb was open. She was the one who discovered that the body wasn't there. And she's the one that went to Peter and the other disciple and said, Hey, something's wrong here. Somebody must have come and taken Jesus. But after Peter and the other disciple are there, Mary stays behind. She stays behind. She's filled with tremendous grief, tears. She is, she's like the mother who got the phone call from the Pentagon. What did they do with Jesus? What did they do to my Lord, my teacher, the one that I've been loving and following, the one that raised the dead, healed the sick, the one who fed 5,000 with a little kid's breakfast. The one that was at my house. What did they do with him? Well, the scripture says that there were two angels there. And then the scripture says that there is a man that she thinks is the gardener. And this gardener person says to him, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? And Mary responds and says, thinking he was the gardener, said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will go get him. I just want to take care of the one I love. I just want to take care of him. Please, if you know where he is, he's not in the tomb where he should be. Please tell me. And then Jesus said to her, probably the most amazing words, Mary. Mary. And she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Teacher, it's you! It's you! She actually goes to grab him. 
And Jesus says, no, don't, don't touch me yet. Don't, don't hold on to me. Go tell the other disciples. And she, what does she do? She runs a second time to the disciples and says to them, he is risen. He's alive. I don't know about you, but there's so many of you that are like Mary that have heard the voice of God in your own life. You see, that Sunday I found Christ as my Savior and I gave my life to him. I really felt like the preacher was talking directly to me. Like I was the only one in the room. I thought that my mother had told on me. It was like, I felt like the Holy Spirit, like, like there was darkness in the room and my, 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 just around my seat. And I was on the second row, right where you were sitting, Penny. That's where I was sitting, right there. It was a small chapel. It was a typical, you know, church of about 150 people. And I felt like there was a light shining on me. And at the end of the service, the preacher, the pastor, gave an invitation for people to receive Christ. And I felt, honestly, this is the dead truth. I felt like God was saying, Kevin, 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 come to me. I love you. Many of you have similar stories where you have had a personal encounter with a personal God who has revealed himself to you. You may not have heard an audible voice, but you have had an experience where you know that you know that you know that you know that you know, no, no. God has been speaking to you. I know that happened to you. And John... Probably you. You see, when you have a personal encounter with God, nobody can take that away from you. Somebody can argue with you. Somebody can tell you, oh, that's not true. That's a fairy tale. That Jesus didn't really come back to life. Oh, that's just some big story that's been carried on. And everybody's duped, really. Well, there's one more. There's good old Thomas. And Thomas, the scripture says, that Thomas was one of the 12 and was not with the disciples when Jesus came. In other words, the story after Mary is that she goes, and where do they find the disciples? They're in the upper room. Remember, they're in the upper room. They're frightened about what has happened. They're scared for their own life. Are they going to come and arrest us like they did Jesus? And they are there, and the scripture says that Jesus comes, and he just appears before them and says, peace be with you. My peace I give to you. And he begins to breathe on them the Holy Spirit. And when they see Jesus, the scripture says, they were overjoyed. And so many of you have experienced that this morning where you've come to Easter service and, and you've heard the, you've sang the songs and you've heard the scripture and you've been overjoyed with what God has revealed to you and you worship him. 
But the one who was not in the upper room then was Thomas. You remember him? Historically, tradition says he's good old doubting Thomas. He's the one who said to Jesus after Jesus said, I'm going back to the Father, and if I go back to the Father, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I prepare a place for you, I'm going to come and take you to be with me. And good old Thomas, good old Thomas, I love good old Thomas. You know what he said to Jesus? I don't know where you're going, and I don't know how to get there. And Jesus said, next series, by the way, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one gets there but by me. The way of grace, the way of God's love through his eternal sacrifice on a cross. Thomas, Thomas, So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. They were testifying to Thomas. They were saying, we have actually seen him with our own eyes. We actually saw the the nail prints in his hands. We actually experienced. He came and met with us. We were in the upper room. We were waiting. We were frightened. And he came. He breathed on us the Holy Spirit. And you know what Thomas said? Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nail marks were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. In other words, for Thomas, he was like, if I don't see it, I don't touch it myself. I'm not going to believe. He needed absolute proof. This wasn't blind gullibility here, blind faith. He wanted the extreme of absolute proof. Just about six weeks ago, I sat in a jury room. For a trial, for somebody who was on trial for attempted murder. And there were three eyewitnesses who gave relatively the same story, but different little details and different sequences. Yet at the end of that trial, we found the man who was on trial for guilty of one attempt of murder with a deadly weapon. Mostly based upon one of the three's testimony that we found very credible. It wasn't absolute proof, but it was beyond a reasonable doubt. And the scripture doesn't call you to believe with absolute proof. The scripture doesn't call you to believe with no proof. There is plenty of eyewitness testimony that what happened to Jesus actually happened. And there are plenty of testimonies that are happening today in lives like mine and so many others. Unless I see the nail prints. You know what I love about Jesus? He could have said, 
you dirty, rotten bum. I'm never going to show you. But look what John records for us. He says this. What kind of faith do you need to believe? What kind of faith do you need to need? Do you need blind faith, a form of gullibility? Do you need absolute proof? I don't think you need either one of those. But here's what Jesus said. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Stop doubting and believe. And then probably the most important thing that I think Jesus said in this situation is one that applies to every single one of us in this room. Here's what Jesus said. Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You know what Thomas did? Thomas, after he saw Jesus, he said, My Lord and my God, my Lord, my Lord and my God. And he went from unbelieving to believing. He went from a person who was a skeptic to a person who put his faith in Jesus Christ. I am a believer now. And Jesus said to Thomas, blessed are you because you see and believe. I've shown you. But blessed is everyone else who has not seen and yet does believe. Then I want you to see the very last verse in this chapter. I'm going to skip beyond this for time's sake. But catch this. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. So there's a lot of other things that Jesus did and said that are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may what? Believe. And that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Maybe you are like the other disciple who had a little bit of faith but didn't fully understand yet. Maybe you're like Mary who needs a personal encounter with a resurrected Jesus. He's here today. Maybe you're like Thomas who says, I need absolute proof. And I would venture to say to you that you don't need absolute proof. All you need, the proof is, the testimony of so many people who have been changed and their lives have been changed. And God wants to do a work in you as well. I conclude my message today telling you about a story about a nine-year-old boy who had Down syndrome. Now, if you know me, I have, a, I have a soft spot for Down syndrome. He was a nine-year little boy. His name was Philip. He was a bit different from all of his other classmates. 
He was uh, a little slower, a little, a, little, um, a little different that the kids recognize as difference. And on this day in the class, it was the spring. And his teacher said to the class, I want to give you an assignment. I want each of you to pick up a plastic Easter egg, similar to this one. And I want you to go outside and I want you to find something to put in your Easter egg. I want you to find it. And I want you to bring it back into class. And so the kids all grabbed their Easter eggs and they went outside and they began to find things to put in their Easter egg. And they came back in. And the teacher said, by one by one, I want you to open your egg and tell your story about what's in your egg. One by one, each child got up opened the egg and pulled out a flower, pulled out a piece of grass, told the story about what it meant to them. One kid put a rock in there and they all laughed at him. Finally, the very last egg was picked up. The teacher said, whose egg is this? And she opened it and there was nothing inside. Little Philip began to pull on her blouse. He said, that's mine. The kids started to laugh. He didn't put anything in it. He didn't follow the instructions. And little Philip, I love what the story says. I'll read exactly what he said. He said, that's mine. And I did do it right. It's empty because the tomb is empty. Amen. That summer, little Philip got sick. His body couldn't fight off the infection, and he died. They had a funeral service for Philip. The place was packed out. All of his classmates brought empty eggs and placed it on his casket. It's empty. He's risen. He's alive, and so is Philip. Today, as we finish this service up, I've got empty eggs up here on the altar. And maybe today, you're somebody that you've had a little faith, but today you want to put your faith in a risen Savior who's not in the tomb. He's alive today, and you want to say, Lord, I want to put my faith in you. I want to believe that you're the resurrection and the life. I want you to change me. Forgive me of all my sins. I need that resurrection power. As we sing this last song, I want you to come and pick up an egg. I want you to go back to your seat. Maybe you're a doubting Thomas who you need absolute proof. But today you've heard the testimony of Jesus. Blessed are those who don't see and yet believe. And based upon the testimony of so many others, you're saying, if they believe, I'll believe as well. 
Maybe today you've heard the voice of God calling your name. Today is different than any other Easter Sunday. Come, pick up your egg. Go back to your seat. And at the end of the service, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Hold your egg up and declare that Jesus Christ is your Savior, your Lord. He's the risen Savior. Amen. That's you today. You need to do that today because today you need resurrection. I want you to come. Nothing is impossible with God. Amen. Stand with me. Father, thank you so much for this service. Would you bless us now, Lord, as we respond to your message? Help us, Lord, to believe. Help us to believe, oh God. Help us to put our faith in you. I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And God's people said, amen. Let's sing our closing song. It's a long one. It's a good one. So sing it out.